0: All right, welcome to another edition here of Beyond Eight Figures. Steve Olster hanging out with the lovely Mary Goulet. Hello, Mary Hello. Goulet. Richie Ote, what's up, my brother? Hello. The gang is back together. Things are good. All is right in the world. Wade's got it under control in the studio, and Kelly's got it under control back at headquarters here on Beyond Eight Figures. We sit down with entrepreneurs who have either exited for more than $10 million or currently run businesses that gross more than $10 million annually. And we get to the bottom of the tools and shortcuts and strategies and things that they have leveraged to build their business into what it is. If you have missed any of the past episodes, I highly recommend you go back into the archives because, man, have we had some good ones. And we've got some awesome folks lined up as well moving forward. But I don't want to waste any time here at all because I'm just super excited to have our guest on today. And to be honest with you, given everything that's going on uh, in this gentleman's life, uh, to be able to, to capture an hour of your time based on uh, everything that you've accomplished. I imagine we're going to be getting a bill for, what, a couple million bucks? Is that, uh, is that the plan? <laughs> a little bit more than that. A little more, a little more. Yeah, yeah, So uh, it's Andre Pira. I just want to make sure I want to, how do we pronounce it yeah. exactly? Uh, Andres Pira. Andres Pira. Okay, very cool, man. So A-N-D-R-E-S and then last name P-I-R-A for those keeping tabs at home. And Andres, you're joining us from, you're, you're in Thailand right now?
1: no i'm actually in new york York? uh, central uh, central park and i've been uh, doing a lot of interviews and and book launches and all but i'm leaving tonight to thailand
0: okay so thailand is home and i just want to make sure that people understand first and foremost how you meet the criteria for beyond eight figures do you have you exited from a business and in real estate it's a little bit tough and we'll get into some of this and i know that I, having done real estate development myself, I know it's a little bit tricky to to, to speak to this because you have so many different projects and things going on. And if you sold one building and one development, then ostensibly that is one business that you exited from. So it's a little bit more complicated. We'll get into that. But have you exited for uh, from a business for more than $10 million, or do you currently run a business that grosses more than $10 million annually or annually or both?
1: I would say both. Both, yeah.
0: Yeah, okay. Absolutely. And so let's let's give folks uh, an understanding of uh, your your background. Man is uh, super inspiring, really. And uh, you, you talk about just you know, for those of you. And, and after almost every episode of uh, of uh, Beyond Eight Figures, Mary and Richie and I we kind of look at ourselves and we go like, "What what are we doing with our lives?" You know, like I mean, my God, we haven't done anything. I mean, you know, comparatively speaking. And so you're really a testament to the fact that. I mean, God, if you can do what you did, given the circumstances of where you were and where you are now, I mean, then one, one could argue easily that anyone could do exactly what you have done, maybe not in the exact same way, but certainly it's possible to change your life, change your circumstances. So just give us a brief understanding. And I know you cover this in your book, Homeless to Billionaire, just obviously giving away you know, a, a little bit there, but give us an understanding of, uh, of your story.
1: Well, I just released my autobiography, and it's a book about what I've been going through the last, uh, I would say, uh, 17 years. And I'm a real estate developer in Thailand at the moment, and uh, we have built, constructed, and sold almost 1,700 different units and properties at the moment. And uh, I'm in New York to do the book launch, but I wasn't always successful. I've been actually homeless one time in my life. And that was my first venture into escaping to another country. I'm originally from Sweden and I was never happy there. I was, uh, it's cold, it's dark, it's snow. Now it's been a kind of tropics. I love, I love the tropics and the climate and and my blue oceans. And so I ended up in Thailand with my, with a little bit funds that I had. So I, I came to Thailand almost 17 years ago with hundred dollars in my pocket and, uh, i had another kind of mindset that i have today so that kind of mindset led me to becoming homeless and spending my days on a beach in thailand because i was too proud to call anyone back home and tell them that i failed in life and Mm -hmm. because they were against leaving in the first place Uh, so i couldn't say that i'm here and i'm had tremendously failed but um, i discovered um, techniques mindset control of emotions and um, just uh, working myself up through this last 17 years and that's where I am today.
0: Mm-hmm. And so let me let me just make sure um, I'm clear on this. And, and if you've listened to the show, I don't know if you had a chance to listen to Beyond Eight Figures before, but uh, if you've listened to the show, you know that we tend to go pretty deep into exactly how you got to where you are and where you're at and so on and so forth. So if at any point uh, I'm asking a question that makes you uncomfortable, you don't want to answer, you don't obviously have to do that. Um, but when you say billionaire, just so I'm clear, is that in terms of the value of the real estate that you personally own? Is that is that cash? Like how do you how do you get to that quantification of, of billionaire status?
1: Yeah, no, you have the right to ask. And I, I don't I can I don't have one billion dollars in my bank account. But if you put all the assets, hotels, resort, commercial buildings, lands, assets, stocks, if you do put all that together, yes then we can talk about those figures.
0: okay no it totally makes sense and and, and obviously Mary Richie jump in at any point here otherwise you know I'm going to run here but let me let me just ask you this do, do you have partners in all of so you about 1,700 units and so on. I know I, I know some of the stuff you've sold and, and whatnot but you still own a, a certain number of units do you, do you have partners in all of those deals or do you do all this stuff on your own now how, how are some of those deals structured? Uh, now versus when you first started?
1: Uh, I work with banks. I work with private equity groups, uh, capital companies, and also private investors that they found uh, my uh, developments. I don't need to do it, but at least I get uh, good financial backgrounds. And when I start a new development, a new resort, they get a certain percentage back. And I work with uh, big investor firms that are behind my buildings. And in Thailand, we have a law that uh, if um, if you're making a building or a condominium, then uh, 49% can own, can be owned by foreigners, but 51% still have to be owned by the company, which I own. So any resort, any condominium or residential units I build, I need to hold 51% of those assets uh, every time. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: that's, how how, that's how it's uh, structured in Thailand, yeah.
0: yeah.
2: Well, I was going to ask if you could go back to the very beginning when you were in Thailand and started the real estate venture. I mean, like those first baby steps, some people can't even get to those first steps and yeah. then to catapult it to what
1: you've created already yeah but people need to understand that when I didn't have anything my, my thoughts would not to become this that real estate tycoon and this billionaire. that, that was not in my, in my thinking because I, I would believe that that's an impossible thing to do so I started with baby steps and I just started to get a job as a marketing executive in real estate and I learned how the marketing structures in a real estate company it, it's done and i got promoted to a sales agent And then I learned how the sales departments are uh, structured in a real estate company and a real estate development company. And I did a great job. So I I got then promoted to sales manager within that industry for that company. And it went great another two years. And I became the best sales agent for that company. And they uh, finally promoted me to sales director for the whole organization. So it was all baby steps out. I worked myself up in that industry. And when I had enough funds and I had enough savings, I opened my first real estate agency. And that was before I became a developer and i think that's the strength because i learned every single step in every department and how they work. and so now i can relate to those people and the department that works for me and i can be a much better leader because i've been going through all that so that's how everything started from the start
2: and then when you started your first firm when was your first acquisition that led to what just snowball domino effect larger and larger properties
1: no well i when i started my first real estate agency then of course. I, I was doing a good job. I acquired investors. So I acquired clients, and they were asking me where is the good to put my money, where is the good returns, where we can make money. So I started to flip units for my investors. I started to buy units for myself and then sell them again. And after uh, another three and a half years, then I had a, a good reputation, and people were uh, relying on me. And I had a, a good database of clients, and they approached me and said, well, you've done great. Uh, you, you placed our investments in great uh, in great investment vehicles, and we were inter- We want to know if you want to do a development. Would you be interested in that? And I mean, I already knew the industry. I wanted to be a developer. I knew what was selling and not selling and what was on the market and square meter prices and all this. So I had the confidence to do it. So the first project that I ever got um, welcomed to with my investor, that was a residential villa development. It was 19 pool villas. That's how it started. And that got sold out in about five months, the 19 houses, and that... Opened all the eyes for the investors, and they 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 knew that I did a good job, and from that it led to bigger and bigger up, uh, projects. After that,
3: so Andreas, I I can't wait anymore. I almost jumped in right. Oh, from sorry the about no, that. No, it's okay. I just I'm sure. grabbing the mic. Um, so we talk about starting, scaling, and exiting. And Mary took us back, and we we're talking about the first real estate company. But I I'm like I can't not ask. You were freaking homeless. Like, what? What was the step before that? I mean, you just got done saying you alluded to. I would wasn't thinking about becoming a billionaire. I need to get the jo- da, 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 get the job work up. And thanks for the story. I'm not trying to make light of it. I'm just trying to pass quick to how'd you get homeless and what happened and and how'd you get out of how it. How did you start even the thought process, the mental mindset of I'm going to set this vision. And I'm going to get a job here and work my way up. Like, take us back to that. I mean, plus, you see, we also have this other show, Reinvention Radio. So you obviously reinvented yourself. So I I can't not ask that question.
1: No, I like that you do that because I need to take you back from that days on the beaches, right? And I was a a firm believer that uh, life just happens to you. You're you're not in control of it. You live day by day in default. And I, I was that kind of person who really believed that uh, the, the world was, uh, was cruel and bad. And I understand something completely different. And I do believe we control our reality and our future with uh, what we think and the decisions we make. So um, being on the beach, I really needed a job. And I just, it, I was blaming everyone else. I was blaming the world. I was blaming my former employees, parents, friends, and all that. And I'd made the decision that I will never ever put myself in this kind of situation again, because it, it, it's not easy to, to be homeless on a beach and have this guilt and shame but I knew that there was something in me saying that, that I'm better than this. I'm better than this. I need at least to get out from this beach. So I took massive action. I started to ask every single company in Thailand for work, all the bars and restaurants and offices and hotels. And I got rejected and rejected hundred times, and, but I didn't give up, even if I looked very bad coming from that beach. But I landed a job at i own a real estate company, a real estate agency. They said, well, I will give you a chance. You're going to get this bunch of brochures and you can stand outside our office and try to get people inside the doors. And if they buy something, then you will get a commission of it. But that was enough Well, this little commission that I could get to get a small little room. And that's how I ended up in a small room with a fan. I remember that room as yesterday. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was working 10 hours a day and I started to because I was happy that I didn't have to be on a beach again. And I started to look up to all these role models in that real estate. area. I saw this sales agent driving this beautiful car. They were happy. They're having these suits. And I wanted to be one of them. So I started to copy exactly what they do, how they walk, how they dress, what kind of clothes they had. And I, I just visualizing every single day to become a person like that. So I started to mimic them. And believe it or not, uh, six months later, uh, an, an English guy who uh, was going home the next day, he came He came to me at the street and said, I would like to buy a property. So I took him inside the office, and my sales manager said, sorry, Andres, we all sales agents are, are busy today. He cannot go on tour. And he was leaving the next day, so I got a, an idea. I said, well, I'll take you on my motorbike, and I'll show you the two properties that that I knew on my top of the head. And, and he bought that same day one unit. And when I came back with the deal with the reservation to my manager, I said, wow, you're the first one who sells a property, property on a motorbike. So... <laughs> I got, they, they believed in me, so I, they, I could uh, borrow the company car uh, following days, and they promoted me to a sales agent. And that's how I worked myself up in that industry. Mm-hmm.
3: That's a great. I mean, if for people who've listened to the show prior, they'll realize there's there's people who have the vision, and then they work towards it, and then there's other people who just make a decision. And it sounds like that's where you were at. You didn't, because I didn't hear in that story. You said, "I don't want to be on this beach anymore. I'm going to become a real estate." Billionaire, He said, I don't want to be on this beach anymore. I'm going to go get a job. And then you just kept climbing, climbing because you stuck to your vision, right? So whether it was, I'm blanking on the name, but the, the guy that worked at the furniture place and then ended up being like, no. it wasn't like I'm going to build the biggest furniture company. So yeah. it's a very small but super important point that people listen to. You don't always have to have the end goal in mind to hit an amazing Home run, grand
2: slam. But I think you can have the end goal feeling that you want to, like he said, I want to feel I'm better than this. I want to feel I'm living my life the way I, you know.
3: And now that you're a billionaire, I'm sure you would say there's nothing wrong with being on beaches. It's just you want to be getting paid while you're sitting on (laughs) those beaches, right? (laughs) Yeah,
1: but of course, it comes with.
0: (laughs) Yeah, man. So. Let, let's do this. I just want to make sure that we give you an opportunity to talk about the book, and then you and you and I actually have quite uh, quite a bit in common. Um, I did real estate development uh, in Chicago for about 15 years. I'm actually working on a, on a pretty interesting platform that uh, that seems right up your alley, given the fact that you're such an adventurer and and now you live life to the fullest and, uh, and the whole nine. So maybe we'll have an opportunity to to chat about that. Uh, But in in Homeless to Billionaire, you you talk a lot about uh, these principles, these principles of of wealth attraction, uh, of really creating uh, what you refer to as unlimited opportunity. So what are some, like, I don't know that we'll have time here to go through all 18, but let's just run through a couple of core principles. I mean, one of the major shifts for you, obviously, was a mindset shift, for sure. uh, But also the just... uh, taking the law of, of attraction to heart, right, and, and really believing that you can attract what you want into your life based upon the vibrational level that you, that you live at and, and what you put forth to the world, yeah, I'm, I just got, uh, got a hold of, uh, of, of the book, so I haven't had a chance to go too deep into it, but I assume that the law of attraction or something of that nature is one of those principles, yes?
1: Well, absolutely. Yeah, yeah.
0: so speak to that, please.
1: Well, I like I said before, I was a firm believer that life just happens to you and you're not in control of it and you live day by day, you live by default. And today I know that we create our own reality outside of ourselves with the images of our mind and the emotions that we bear inside of us. And uh, I, some people don't believe in these things, but I didn't either. So I started to to, to do all these things to disprove it. But I started to get the same results, and I live by that every, day, every single day. You so can let's,
0: actually, if, oh. if I may, let's, let's use a practical example. So what, so what does that actually look like in, in real form? So today, I guess, as it relates to your book, are you envisioning this and, and feeling this and being this in terms of the book being a number one New York Times bestseller? Like you can already see it in your mind. Like what, what does that look like in practical terms?
1: in practical term is to see whatever you want uh, as it already happening as it already has happened you need it's like taking your mind into the future and bringing it back to the present mm-hmm. and I, I know that it works every single time because every time i envision a new project a new building a new hotel or or a new office it, it does materialize because the more the more knowing you know and you know the, the teachings and the meditations i do it, it it comes into reality, so and then people can question it uh, if they want or not. But I live by that every single day. Mm-hmm.
0: So so let's talk about that in terms of what your day actually consists of. I don't I don't want to gloss over that because there are certain habits, certain activities that people like yourself seem to engage in. So what what are what are the non negotiables in your day? What 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 does a day in the life of uh, Andres? look like? I mean, like, what, what are the non-negotiables? What What does a typical day look like for you?
1: I mean, I have my rituals every morning. Yeah. when I wake, I keep doing them every single day. And it, it's a bit with, it has to do with gratitude and it has to do with meditations and goal settings every single morning. And I do write 101 goals every year that I want to achieve in the next 12 months. They can be everything from small goals to big goals. But as soon as I wake up in the morning, so I'm grateful for everything I already have instead of worrying about the things that I don't have yet. I mean, it's all about how you feel. Mm-hmm. So uh, when I do that, I glance over my goals every every day and I pick three or four of them that I want to see happening. And I do meditate every single morning in my gardens and I see things that I, that that, that I want them to, to be manifested. So I spend around an hour doing this every morning and I sit alone with my garden, same place, same chair every single morning. And then when I go to work, I already feel great. And I already know that these this things will come I don't worry when or how. That's not my job, but I know they will.
0: Yeah. Interesting. So how do you I mean, out of 101 goals, then how do you determine what is most important to do when? How how does how do you cycle through that? I mean, to get to the three or four uh, objectives that you would focus on for for that day to bring to fruition?
1: I mean, I'm not expecting those things to to materialize the same day. So that that's what I not do. I don't focus on when it's gonna happen, as I said. I choose three, four different ones from that goal list every morning that I that I put my focus on. And if it happens next month, in two months, three months, that's that's okay. But I don't worry about the time, right? Mm-hmm. But it's also people get shocked when I say I write one hundred and one goals a year because that sounds a lot but it can be all from buying that new tv or getting that new jacket or visiting that certain city close to me or meeting that person so i blend all my small goals with big goal because when you cross over small goals you feel like you're moving forward you feel like you're actually going in the right direction and then the bigger goal become more believable so it's very important to blend small goals because most people don't do that they, they put that one million dollars or that penthouse or that ferrari and then that's uh, that's very hard for people who hasn't tried all these methods first. So small goals are very important. They're almost more important than big goals.
0: Interesting. And so, as it relates to the the principles of wealth attraction, give us uh, take take us through a couple of them that uh, that you believe are, are absolutely essential.
1: Well, there. I mean, I, there is eighteen principles in the book. I believe all of them are important. Some of them are easier to. To, to, to learn, and some of them takes years to to master, I guess, and I'm still practicing every day, but I've seen some tremendous results in me and employees and even friends and family when they start studying these things. And uh, it, first of all, the, the first principle is to lead a laser-focused life, because most people in the world will never get anything because we don't know what we want. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's the first thing you need to find out with yourself, and spend time alone is another principle, because when you spend time alone with yourself, Instead of being on social media, instead of being with family and friends and colleagues all the time, when we spend time alone, we actually find those answers. What makes me happy and what do I want to achieve? What's my goals? What, what, what do I want to do in life? How can I help others? And all these things are important to start to, to get out the, the goals in your life. But so this is a stepping stone to, to creation.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: That brings Please. me back to something a friend of mine said. He goes, you have to have a laser-like focus and most of us have a laser light show.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Exactly. yeah Yeah. Yeah, great point so okay well let's i mean if if we can touch on them just from a from a high level then we can probably dig into a few of them uh, on a deeper level as well so laser focus giving yourself alone time what what are some of the other principles that you believe in
1: i one of them that i'm most proud of and i see it working every single day uh, it's uh, the law of vibrational giving what does that mean Uh, It means that whatever you want in life, make sure to help others to get it first and make sure you give out that to others. And I've seen tremendous results in my organizations when I put other people in front of me, my employees and people that need help. So I I believe that when you help other people become successful and you help other people uh, reach their goals, everything around you propels and you get tenfold back every single time. And there's different ways of uh, of proving this factor, and I write, that, I outline that in my book how how to see that it actually works. Yeah. So it's all energy. Whatever we give out, we receive. So, and it goes deep into science, if you want to call it that way. That explains
0: it. You're not giving enough out, or I'm not. You're looking at me when you're saying it. So that explains oh, okay, it. Okay, fine. That explains it. There you go. Uh, so let me, let me let me ask you this. So let's just let's just kind of run through what what's going on then in your business today. So you, you've got uh, about 250 out employees, correct? Is that uh, is that still the current number?
1: Uh, Full time, yes. Full time.
0: And does that mean? So what are they doing? Uh, these people who work on your buildings uh, you 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 own. I just want to make sure I'm clear on this. So you still own residential buildings. I know you do some condominium stuff and other things as well. So I just want to try to get a sense of, because 250 employees, that's a, that's a huge organization. So just give us a sense, generally speaking, of, of how that breaks down. What, what, what are those folks doing? Well, I
1: mean, I have um, health clubs, I have gyms, I have coffee shops, I have restaurants, and also uh, the real estate. I have two real estate different agencies. I have my real estate development company. Mm-hmm. And all these 250 people, it's within these organizations. So it's all from uh, the accounting department, finance department, sales and marketing department, HR department. Um, also, um, my, I have my own law firm with my own lawyers and litigators. So it's a, it's a vast extension of different people in different uh, departments and organizations that I have, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And how, how do you decide then where the next opportunity should be? I mean, you talk about creating unlimited opportunity. How do you decide what your next opportunity should be. You've obviously got a a wide, I mean, you've diversified, so you've got a wide range then of businesses that you're involved with. Do you, what are the criteria that you look at? Are are you looking mostly to start those businesses? Are you looking to acquire established businesses? Just take us through how you identify uh, your next opportunity.
1: For me, it's more of being open-minded and being ready for any opportunity that arises to you and be and be ready when it comes. And for me, when I see a great opportunity arise, I just it comes as a hunch. It comes as a feeling that this is the right thing to do. And I can never specify if that's tomorrow or today or next month. But when they come, I do know it's the right thing. It can be a form of a new business. It can be a form of a new building or a, or a new coffee shop or location. But it's just that feeling you get as an entrepreneur when it's the right Time to strike, and, and when you do have this feeling, you need to take immediate action. Otherwise, it doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. So, or that's how I operate. And I, I never know when my architect is going to call me next day and tell me he found a piece of land on the on the on, on the beach or close to the beach with a fantastic view. That can happen tomorrow. And if, when I see this land plot, then I absolutely know already. Then this is going to be a great project. Mm-hmm.
0: So take us through that. So let's just say, hypothetically, the architect calls, says, hey, we've got we've got a great piece of land. You know, it's either on the beach, it's um, just steps away or whatever it might be. Great views, the whole nine. Take us through then What what is the process that you that you go through? Because I know that's where a lot of people get stuck. They have Mm -hmm. this great idea, but they don't know how to execute on that idea. And especially if you're talking about a larger development. Obviously, it's a multi-million dollar undertaking and multi, you know, potentially even tens or hundreds of millions of dollars depending on the size of the development. So take, take us through what happens. I mean, literally what happens as you get that phone call? What, what are the next steps?
1: Well, the first, yeah, to take you back, as many people, when they get this opportunity, they, they, they try to see all the the, the the ladder. They try to see the whole ladder And then they become stuck because they do it. I just follow the next step. And the next step is to ask them to send me the Google Earth picture so I can see it from above, how close it is, what competitors I have around me, how big is the land, how many units I can put. And if I see that it's a great location, I do ask my uh, architect to make a feasibility study and see how many many floors can I build on that and how many units, how much green space do we need to do it, how far away is it from the beach or not, and uh, what kind of price range compared to the land and how many square meter prices we can sell each unit and sellable area. So all these things start to fly in my mind and I start to ask the developer to at least do a formal draft of what we can build. Mm -hmm. And then I know, then I add up all these units and see if it's profitable or not. And if I see that it is, then I ask my graphic designers to jump in and start to make graphics of the project of how they can look like. Of course, I I tell them my vision. I want this amount of swimming pools, this amount of units, it should be this color. This is the kind of facilities we should have to, com- to compete with the competitors around so all this. But it's more brainstorming. And when I know there is a potentiality, I do tell my architect, my engineers, my graphic designers, and my lawyers to have a brainstorming meeting. And that's when all this creation starts to happen.
0: Mm-hmm. But just so I'm clear here, and just backing up one second, do, do you lock down the land? Do you give yourself a right of first refusal on that? Do you how? Just talk about it from a contractual standpoint, because obviously before you start yeah. – engaging mm-hmm. folks to and uh, you're starting to invest in soft costs here you have got to you've got to lock it up no of course and yeah. that's
1: why i take immediate action because i need to find those numbers before i put a deposit or buy the land because it would be crazy to buy it and then find out that it's not profitable or not so how do,
0: do you do you build in contingencies like it's a cart and a horse i'm just trying to figure out from a contractual standpoint how do you protect yourself but still uh, it, but still secure the ability to move forward
1: well, I have a rule to seven to ten days. We should have be absolutely sure that this is a profitable development or not. And it takes seven to ten, ten days to get all this information from the different people I work with. And if it's if it's a plus, then then I, we have a meeting with the landowners or, or or lawyers, and we ask them the payment steps and 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 how we're we gonna transfer the land. And then I put a deposit very quick because we know that if you're too late you might miss a very important opportunity but i do need those seven to ten days to make sure that we're doing the right choice
0: yeah so due diligence for you typically is a seven to ten minimum period to lock it down and have the ability to to obviously cancel and get out if needed
1: that's enough at least to know we're doing the right decision because i yeah. also know to take a quick decision too quick that that can be devastating so make sure that you have the time right
0: yeah richie i know you were jumping there yeah it
1: was
3: two things one i can maybe close out what you were asking too. So it sounds as if you actually just cover those costs of your employees and all that. It's part of the cost of doing business for those seven to 10 days. Is that correct? And then you no, just, yeah. Okay. Cause that's kind of yeah. where Steve was going. So I, that's one. And then, um, we've had multiple people here that have on the show that have structured their businesses in such a way where there's businesses within businesses. And since you're real estate and also heard you have gyms and coffee shops and stuff, Like we had Chip Conley on that did Joie de Vivre Hotels, and he had two separate. So one was a real estate holding company. One was the management company within it. I would just assume, based on the way you're talking, you have probably the umbrella holds all the real estate, and then there's just separate businesses, like the coffee is its own business, but you own the real estate. So how do you structure that?
1: I have them as independent companies, uh, individual companies. And why is because it's the same when you build a table, you have four, leg, four legs, but if one leg breaks, you still have other three legs to stand on. And it's important to do it because if you put everything on the same leg, if that leg gets chopped off, you lose everything. So it's important to have multiple streams of income independently because you never know what's going to happen. At least I'm not, I cannot foresee the future, but at least you can prepare for it.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Hey, you know, I want to ask a question about the culture of your company. Having 250 employees and your mindset, law of attraction, the meditation you do in the morning, and your book, the 18 things. What is the culture like in your company? Are they? Do you bring that in? The 18 things you bring in. Hey, people, let's have this as a culture in the community, the company.
0: In other words, is it defined? Or are you? Yeah,
2: I mean, is it spoken?
0: Absolutely, yes.
2: Well, there you go <laughs>
0: <laughs>
3: they all get a copy of the book. they all get a copy of the book <laughs> yeah. exactly so no, I, I,
1: yeah, I have please and I teach my employees and I, I stand up and I gather all my even sometimes we have team buildings, and even the, the people from the coffee shops or the gyms or the restaurants or the real estate i 'll put them together on seminars and and, I, and we have a, I bring in people from all over the world to talk about these things. I talk about these things and. This is to empower them, and I mean that you can lead by inspiration or you can lead by fear. If you lead by inspiration, they will stick with you forever. There is many people who lead by fear, and that that's great for a certain period of time until it falls. Mm-hmm. So it's important to have this culture, and I mean that that's why we've been awarded. We're the most awarded, decorated real estate developer in Southeast Asia because of the culture we have and because of the, the, how we lead our teams, and that's why we get great results.
0: Yeah, that's points awesome. well taken. So let's uh let's bring things back to uh to a personal level here for a minute if uh if you don't mind andres so obviously you're thriving as an entrepreneur you've got uh you know just amazing developments in some of the most beautiful locations and you can pretty much do whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it you have achieved what so many people aspire to realize obviously you've gone from homeless to this point. So, I mean, it's not as though you've been born, you weren't born with a silver spoon and this has all been handed to you. You worked for it, you earned it, you made it happen. But let me see if I can try to dig in a little deeper in terms of what you might still struggle with. So what, what still keeps you up at night? What, what, what do you worry about? What, what are your fears?
1: I love that you asked that question because many people think that all these successful people, even myself, are just perfect human beings, and that's absolutely wrong. Yeah, I still struggle. So I still have negative thinking. I still get stressed sometimes. What does that so- negative
0: thinking sound like, Andres? Like because it's hard for it's a hard it's hard for people to believe that there would be negative thoughts going through a, a guy like your head. Like I mean, what what would this guy have a negative thought about? I mean, a good-looking guy living in a beautiful place, you got all the money in the world. I mean, like what on earth would that, would that self-talk even sound like?
1: Well, something that always comes back to me is that I'm worried that I'm not making enough for my employees, for my people around, for my family. And that thing is always going to be there because I can always push myself to be better. And sometimes I'm worried that I'm not good enough to do that. But I think I'm a little bit more advanced to cutting negative thinking before they become emotions. Because when they become emotion, is that's when you start to take bad decisions. Mm. And I when I know that this, this is negative that I'm thinking, then I replace it with positive things before I start feel bad about it. And that's the key to most people that they don't know that a neg- negative thinking leads to more negative thinking, and that becomes emotions and depressions and stress. But you can cut it out before it spirals down. So I mean it's it's that's what I battle with, but I still get those negative images in my head and then feel that i'm not good enough or or i should do more so mm-hmm. but it happens
3: yeah it's it's interesting you say that and i've been wanting to say something for a while here and it's it's almost like we scripted this and obviously this isn't scripted um i'm a big believer that everything happens for a reason steve takes it to a whole nother extreme he thinks in his book what is your what that you were born to do one particular thing and you're what chose you right not you chose your what and so i'm actually going to even go back again like what brought you to thailand do you think that there was something like sometimes what looks like the most negative experience is the thing that took us to be the most positive thing it ever could have been and do you think you would have been so it's kind of twofold what brought you there and do you think you would be the person you are had that not happened or was that the very thing that you needed to take
1: you to that spot I believe I really needed that because when I was at the rock bottom, I believed that that was the worst days of my life. But sitting here talking with you guys, I know that that was the best thing that ever happened in my life. So it depends how you see it. But, yeah, we all have, if you want to call it a reason or purpose why we're doing things, but also you create those opportunities with the decisions that you take.
2: Okay, real. I know it's a detail, but when you got the first job at the agency with the brochures, standing outside trying to have people come in, was yeah. that a purposeful pursuit of that exact position, or was it just something that you ran across and more of a universal thing helping you out?
1: Absolutely not. I didn't know that it was real estate I'm going to work with. I didn't okay. have a clue. I just wanted a job. I just wanted a paycheck so I could have a room. That was the only decision I had. Mm. And I got rejected 100 times, but that real estate agency was the one who said yes. So, don't you,
2: there's a little magic in that, don't you think? Well, you know, I've been thinking
1: about that day, and I could have got a job in a restaurant, or I could have got a job somewhere else, but I don't know—was it meant or was it not meant? I still don't know that answer. Mm-hmm.
0: So let me let me ask you this today. I, you, I know you try to live life to the fullest. Obviously, being homeless, it's got to bring a, a pretty interesting perspective to the table on a, on a daily basis. Just knowing what it's like to have nothing. So I know you great, and again, the, the gratitude, and the appreciation, the goal setting, everything that you go through on a daily basis to to help keep you grounded and help keep you clear on what's most important, where you want to go and what you want to do. So let let me just ask you this, as it relates to living life to the fullest and, and having that sense of gratitude and being open to new adventures, how every employee has to jump out of a plane, right? I mean, you're, you're an adventurer at heart. What, what is that? So when you say you're, I mean, just looking at pictures and all, obviously you're an adventurer, but what, what does that mean to you? And, and do you really have every employee jump out of a plane? Like for real? No,
1: no. People get it wrong. I, I wouldn't c- c- throw out my accountants and finance people. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. no.
2: Talk about attrition.
1: <laughs> no, I do it with my sales department. Everyone that starts in sales department in organizations, they do it because they're the driven people. They're the people who get most rejected. They're the people who have most fears and, and need to get pushed. So they're the people to do it, with, but not no, not all around. They don't need that. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: But as an adventurer, what are some of the things that you that you enjoy doing? Because you seem to push yourself pretty hard. Uh, Not I mean, not dissimilar to a Richard Branson, who, you know, has obviously not so much now at his age. But you kind of remind me of a a young Branson and a lot of your approaches and a lot of the things that you do.
1: Well, I love adventures and I love living a little bit on the not dangerous side because you take calculated risk, but I love being in nature. I love to be away from phones and emails and faxes. That's my time to energize myself. That's when I get creative and the biggest name to my biggest hotels and resorts have come when I've been alone in nature or in jungles or on mountaintops. And that's been a part of my life. And I, I think that we all need that. We live in this stressful environment that we're always connected with electronics and stuff. And I just love to be away, and when I come back, I just I'm full with energy and positive again, and I like to climb mountain tops and jump out of place, and I love to be diving and all this same because that's one of the few moments I really feel alive. Yeah,
2: so do you manage everyone on your own, or do you have staff that are your right hand and they help oversee the different divisions?
1: No, of course. I mean, I do everything from my phone, but I have excellent managers, excellent executives. Every department have a director. Every department have a manager under director. So everything is scaled as a pyramid, of course. So, I mean, they, they respond to me and I get daily reports from every department and every manager every single day on how the day was and what clients they, they encountered and how much income or revenue they were doing. So I get daily reports from all the offices so I can see it as an eagle eye vision and I can see what's going on on a day-to-day basis.
0: Mm-hmm. So gross revenue amongst all the companies right now is that a number you uh, have shared or can share
1: uh, I need to look back because they are coming in and out every single every single day so
0: yeah,
1: yeah. I, mean, uh, I wouldn't re- it depends on the day to day yeah
0: sure and obviously with if you're selling condominiums that's going to have the spikes as those numbers come in and so on so I mean it just obviously there's going to be ebb and, and flow that's, there
1: that's what- we sold seven units uh, on a daily basis. Tomorrow is two, so
0: mm-hmm. up and down, right? So, mm-hmm. so l- let me let me ask you this then: Does because getting to the point of having two hundred and fifty employees is no small task. So, is, is does this come naturally to you? I mean, leadership from from a CEO perspective, or did you did you bring in people to help structure? Your organizations? Uh, did, did you just do this organically? Like seriously, I mean, there there are very few people who can manage 250 people yeah. effectively and be able to to work from your phone and and you know go to New York and do what you're doing. So I'm just curious, like, where did the management skills and abilities come from? And do you have any tips around people management? Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, I. I know where where my weaknesses are, and I know where my strengths are. I'm not a numbers guy. I'm not an accountant or an administration or secretary. I'm more a visionary and and a person that uh, motivates people. And and I'm very keen on studying always my competitors. That's something I'm obsessed with. I always check: Who are my competitors? How are they structured in the marketing? Who is the people inside my competitors? Who is the superstars there? And I watch all of them, and I recruit them because I have that culture, and we are. Very good in what we do, and I get those people because when you get the superstar from other organizations, they will help you to to do these departments that you need to do and help you with this, the weaknesses that you might have. So it's very important who you bring aboard, and that's what I do almost every month. And I love to take. Even some people say it's bad, some people say it's good, but I, if you have to work with, if you want to be the best, you have to work with the best and employ the best. And when you do that, then then they will help you to finance all the the departments and. I had done a lot of trials and errors and failures, but I learned by mistakes. And I need people on my left and right to 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 uh, to be able to be my strength where my weaknesses are. So they, yeah. many of them that work with me through the years, they have established those uh, departments and manager positions to, to help me run all these 250 people.
3: Yeah, Andreas, um, when you started out, you were obviously, you were broke, you were broken, you were working on the mental mindset, you made the decision, you're moving forward, and, and since we tar- excuse me, talk about starting, scaling, and exiting, I'm very interested to hear, so here you are, you're moving forward, you get to the million, you get to 10 million, you get to 100 million, you get to a billion. What were the things, now that you're such a positive thinker, and But you also are obviously very much based in reality too. You know things go negative. What were some of the things you had to break along the way to grow?
1: Mm.
2: That's a very good question.
1: Yeah, that that is a good question. And I mean, the most the hardest part is to make all departments to work hand in hand together because it's like an engine, and if one part of the engine doesn't work, the other parts will not work either. So being able to switch and put those different departments and people around so they work as a, as a Lamborghini engine, if you want to call it like that, that's very hard because they always have these hierarchy problems that I'm better than you and I'm better than that. So it's the culture that you need to strive. And to honestly, the, the, to make the first million dollars, that, that was one of the hardest things because a million dollars seemed like a big thing. So it depends on how you see the problem or how you see the event. And when you think that this is very big, then you put friction on it. You put the... You, you you limit yourself because you think it's a big barrier to break. But when you've done that, you know that it's just a number and you continue to do it with passion and you know that if I could break a million, then I can break a 10 million. If I can break 10 million, I can do it. So it's all stepping stones. I, you cannot go from zero to a billion in a day. You need to have those goals. It's 100,000, 1 million, 10 million, and then up. I mean, it's stepping stones with everything. But when you already hit those barriers, then you know that, wow, I already hit a uh, million dollars then that was the hard part so i can do 10 million and it becomes easier and then you know what brings the money and then you invest in those kind of departments or those properties or stuff that i that gave you that in the first place so you need to put your investments in the right way that you know that is increasing right
3: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so it sounds as if the culture and keeping the culture tight was the most important so i'm i'm assuming i don't know the exact numbers but to go from 10 to a hundred something broke and you had to keep it together and to go from a hundred to 200 and so on. What, what do you think? Do you hire more for mental mindset and then train them the skills or do you hire the people that have the skills and then give them the mindset?
1: You know, I, I that reminds me from many years back and, uh, I was always the one who needed to look at res- resumes and CVs and experiences and paperwork and what I found out is that sometimes when you you hire that perfect person that has that has the bachelor or our uh, doctor degrees or, or or they've been in university they have all this paperwork and they seem to have this experience they they turn out to be the worst employees ever mm. and I've been taking people that doesn't have an education and that they're young and they haven't been ex- working in other environments, then they turn out to be the best employees. Yeah. So for now I, I, I hire for, for, for mindset and positivity and I don't look at those uh, paperwork anymore because it all depends on the people that you work around that you need to build everyone as a team. You cannot just do uh, things alone, that's impossible. But if great teams and, and the bigger teams with the same kind of mindset, when you put these people together, you get great results. So you need to start with the, with the culture and, and also the, the, the mindset of the people around. The negative people, toxic people, I cut them out very, very quick.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, points well taken. So let me, let me ask you one more question, then I'm going to get into a completely selfish part of the conversation here, if that's okay. Um, but what, what is, and as Richie said, you know, start, scale, exit. I think we've covered a lot of the ground here and really appreciate the openness and willingness to share so much. Uh, exit? What are you thinking, man? Is this um, and and for those who are watching the video, you can see, you know, Andres is not a, you know, this is this is a fairly young man, you know. I mean, you're 38 right now, right? Something like that. So somewhere in there. (laughs) So, yeah, okay. So what's the what's the plan, man? Is there, are we bundling and exiting? Are we are we thinking long term? What what's the what's the potential exit strategy around this?
1: I mean, for the moment, I know I can handle it. And it's a passion and it's a drive. And I love the people that I work with. So we are planning on one of the biggest resource ever built in South Thailand, and we're just um, working on that. And it, it, it's fun every single day when I go to work. And I have a daughter. I want to have more kids. And when they grow up, probably they, take, they take, can take over what I started. And if they don't, then I have to look at other options. But uh, that's where we are today. And I enjoy mm-hmm. every day of it.
0: Yeah are Are you adopting any 49 year old men by chance? are you uh, or any are you, are you <laughs> looking for more kids or anything? I mean you your u s. branch <laughs> so,
2: Well, if you think
1: it's possible right <laughs> right
0: so let me um so let me ask you this, and and remember I said earlier, we've got a lot of things in common. I mean I've done real estate development, not to the level that you've done it, but you know the last project I did was about a 14 million dollar project, right? So some decent sized projects over the years got involved in the tech space. Really early on, I mean, we launched on CompuServe's electronic mall in 93. So, I mean, I've been online for 25 years. I don't think
2: he was born yet.
0: Quiet. So, <laughs> so uh, I'm actually pursuing something, and I would love to get your opinion on this because you, you talk about creating unlimited opportunity, and you seem to be a guy that just like, you know, you see it, you know it, and it makes sense to you. You jump on it. So Mary and Rich have heard me talk about this now for quite some time, and, uh, and this is something that is in the works of moving forward. Uh, but I'd love to get your take on the combination of a skill sets, uh, a couple of skill sets that I have that combine real estate and tech in a new initiative that really mm, I think complements a lot of what you're uh, so well known for, and a lot of how you like to live your life from that adventurous type of lifestyle and living life to the fullest and being able to go from point A to point B as you as you uh, as you deem uh, appropriate. So you're familiar, I'm sure, with the term digital nomad, right? I mean, the people that are able to do whatever they want to do from wherever they want to do it. Yeah, the laptop lifestyle type people. I assume that's a a term you're familiar with. And I assume you're familiar with uh, software as a service, correct? Software
1: as is no, but the nomad kind of lifestyle, I know what you're saying, so yeah.
0: Yeah, so basically the the company that I'm putting uh, together and are in the embryonic stages of this uh, is a company called Latitude. And the idea here is it's basically housing as a service for digital nomads, where we give people, specifically those who have the flexibility to move from location to location every 30 days, the ability to pay one set membership fee. And they'll have flexibility where they can move from location to location every 30 days, where they'll have privacy. So it's not co-living, but they actually get their own place. And they'll be able to build equity because we will actually own the real estate That they're moving from, so it's sort of like housing as a service, as it compares, you know, to software as a service, that a lot of people are familiar with. So I just really wanted to throw that out to you because I know you're a big thinker man, and uh, and I'm not afraid to share the idea because I know it's going to take a village to bring this to to fruition. It's it's a unicorn all day long. I mean, even at just 300 members, it's a billion dollar proposition with the value of the real estate and the membership fees and everything else. So I'm I'm open about the idea. I've talked about it quite a bit on the show i um, always looking for advisors and potential partners and investors in these embryonic stages. But I just want to throw it out to you, man, to see how it lands on uh, on a guy with your experience. On a gut level. On a gut level, exactly. Yeah.
1: I mean, it, 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 uh, the information is not uh, large enough for me to make uh, proper uh, advices, I would say. I need, I need to know a little bit more insight of uh, how it's structured. And, uh, for sure and stuff, but but the, the little thing that you told me it's it's all about supply and demand and and to live that kind of normal lifestyle. and there must be hundreds of thousands of people who would love to do that, so I think the demand should be there yep. if you just market yourself enough and people find you, I think the idea is good. yeah,
0: yeah, it's interesting. So four point eight million Americans, forget about globally, there's going to be one over one billion um, digital nomads worldwide by 2035 just in the United States right now. 4.8 million identify themselves as digital nomads with 13% of those folks making over 125 grand a year. So it's not like we're dealing with starving artists either. You know, these, this, this whole freelance kind of gig economy is really becoming the norm. You know, Intuit showed that 51% of all employees will be office free by 2021, right? So, I mean, so the numbers are substantial, but this isn't even a huge... It doesn't take a lot of members in order for this to build up quite quickly in terms of its value.
1: It sounds like a great idea, and I would love to send me a bit more information so I can study it.
0: Yeah, sweet. And no, I appreciate that, man. And again, it wasn't so much like, a, "Hey, write me a check." It was just more. I just, I, I really, you know, admire what you've been able to do. And I know you, when you see an opportunity, you pounce on it. So I just want to get kind of your knee jerk, your well, gut reaction to it.
2: Yeah, and he mentioned before that he does that eagle eye view, thirty thousand yeah. feet. And then ratchet down to more details to see if the numbers work.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Let me do this, man. We're going to have to wrap here, and we really value your time. We don't want to take up too much more of your time. But any, any other thoughts that you want to leave our audience with here? And, of course, we're going to encourage everyone to go out and grab homeless to billionaire 18 principles of wealth attraction and creating unlimited opportunity. I can't wait to, to pour through that. But any, any final thoughts that you want to share here, man, before we let you go in the last uh, couple of minutes?
1: Oh, I think we covered everything and I love your questions because it goes more deep in how to run businesses. I really love that because many podcasts I've been to it's said uh, they don't even they ask me what the title of the book or sometimes <laughs> they what name. Yeah. <laughs> well <laughs> and, yeah. And
3: the
0: and the point is well taken. I mean, obviously as a twenty five plus year entrepreneur and as a twenty five I mean like combined here, we've all owned businesses and we're old enough now to know what some of the things are that you need to be aware of and, and really where and that's the beauty of this show beyond eight figures is being able to sit down with people like you to really deconstruct what works, what doesn't and the things that we need to be aware of as we're in these various stages of, of starting and scaling and potentially exiting uh, a business. So thank you for the, for the compliment on, on that.
1: Absolutely. And, um, uh, continue to do the great work. And like I say to anyone, if I could turn my life around, anyone can you just have to learn how to follow the certain principles of life and, uh, believe in ourselves
0: that's all yeah absolutely and so for those who are looking to connect with you further by the way really well done website uh, there's a lot of expert you know type sites guru type sites if you will um yours is is honestly one of the best i've ever seen so really really good yeah. job on it. seriously i mean just really Thank well done but in terms of a, a site that's built around a, a personal brand you know really yeah. really well done yeah. around that uh so please
1: like I said, if you want to be the best, work with the best, right? Yeah, yeah.
0: absolutely. So let's just uh, let, let's make sure we give people the opportunity to connect with you. Do you want to send them to your personal site? Is there a site just for the book? I just want to, again, give you an opportunity to to direct people towards where you want them to go.
1: Oh, it's fine. I mean, uh, if they want to hear more about principles and uh, blogs and stuff that, that, that I've been doing and talking about all these things, they can go to the website andrespira.com and, they can download a free chapter of the book and also download a short version of the 18 principles that I live day by day. And if they like the material, they can go to Amazon and purchase the actual copy of the book.
0: Yeah. Well, again, Andre, and let me just spell this for folks. So again, it's A-N-D-R-E-S, and then last name is P-I-R-A. So Andrespira.com. And uh, man, again, really just appreciate your time today. Good luck on the on the book tour, I know you're uh you're you're getting that word out to as many people as you possibly can. Safe travels back. Good luck with the with the big new development you got going on there uh as well. So folks go out and uh, grab homeless to billionaire, 18 principles of wealth attraction and creating unlimited opportunity. Check out Andres Pier his site at com. Again, A N-D-R-E-S-P-I-R-A dot com. Thank you so much, man. Really, uh, again, appreciate it. And, And I'll be in touch here soon. And we will talk to you guys next time here on Beyond Eight Figures. Take care, everybody.